Hashtag college football. I really think the number one question should be somebody should ask the players because there's a lot of talk around this and it's going to create the opportunity for as many as maybe 17 games that, have, that players play in the season. And I think that would be the major concern uh, to me. That's Nick Saban saying players need input into the playoff. Could 17 games happen? Well, a 12-game regular season. Game 13 is a conference title game. And then if you don't get a top-four seed and a bye, you could play four more games. Now, we have had blowouts in semifinals. So Dabo Sweeney at the ACC Media Days was just saying, why go to 12? I don't think those people can compete. I mean, please, look at me. How could these people compete with me? I mean, really, my genius, please. And now Nick Saban is, well, what if the 12 seed plays four games? Or the 5 seed. And that could happen at some point. And are the players going to get asked? Why? They haven't been asked about anything in the first 100 years of college football. Why will they start asking now? Okay, that was too much sarcasm. Nick raises a decent point, but honestly... I mean, the NCAA got dragged into the name, image, and likeness, kicking and screaming three inches at a time. I mean, that's how fast they got dragged into it. It took state legislatures acting before they finally did something. So, while Nick raises an interesting point, does anyone really think, well, we've got several billion dollars on the table, but first, I'm going to go over here and ask this sophomore. No chance. None whatsoever. Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach says expanding to 12 is a huge step in the right direction and added he would like to see 64 teams. I'm Mike Leach, and I'd like to have a bonus in my contract for making the tournament. And could we make the tournament as ginormous as possible? Because I really want that bonus. I'm not seeing any self-serving comments here whatsoever. Dabo is right. In the current situation, we haven't had great semifinals. We've had blowouts, which leads to the question, well, will team five and six? The question everyone has, and it's speculation, and there are lots of people on both sides of it right now, is are these players going to Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Clemson? We've got 20 of the 28 playoff bids because, A, they want to go to the playoffs, and B, they think it's the best track to the NFL. Now, Jalen Johnson specifically did not go to Oklahoma because he thought if he went to the U as a defensive back, they would absolutely get him in the NFL, and that was his goal. Oklahoma had a great season. PK and I asked him, and he's a freshman. He's sorry he didn't get to Oklahoma. No, my goal is to get to the NFL. I feel like I'm on track to do that. He got his degree in three years. He graduated, and he went to the NFL as a high draft pick. Nailed it. But... For a lot of the elite players, clearly they're gravitating to these four schools. Now, once you know 12 teams are getting in and there's name, image, and likeness money, why do I want to go over there, go to Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, be the third or fourth best player in my position, get no NIL money early on, unless I'm Alabama's presumed starting quarterback, or do I want to go to this school over here because they're, they're probably going to get in. Georgia, Notre Dame, Oregon, schools that routinely can get in the top 12. Maybe it'll spread the elite talent around. And if Bama and Clemson aren't three deep at every position, maybe they won't be blowing people out in semifinals. That's what Mike Leach thinks. Plus, he thinks he can be one of the 12 and get his bonus. So that's all nice, but let's not bury the lead here, people. According to a report first published in the Houston Chronicle, Texas and Oklahoma have reached out to the SEC about joining the SEC. Both schools released statements saying they would not address this story. Well, they don't want to lie. And it's going to happen. <laughs> so they're not going to address it. That is what most of the Big 12 seems to think, including Oklahoma State, who went public. Oklahoma State's going to fight for their program, and they do not want them to be left behind by Oklahoma. Hey, 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 you're not leaving us on Island Stranded with these guys over here, points at Tulsa, G5 team. The only impediment to this seems to be Texas A&M. 
who put out a statement that said, bleep no, no bleeping way, signed Texas A&M. Well, they didn't say that exactly, but they did have their AD at the SEC media days, and most schools did not have an AD there. Lucky, happenstance, or they knew this was coming? Huh, you make the call. Texas A&M right now is the only alternative for the Texas high school star who wants to A, stay in state, and B, play in the SEC. Now, there are Texas players willing to go out of state and play in the SEC, and there are Texas players willing to stay home and play in the Big 12. But they do have this little corner on the market. And if you think Utah and BYU don't like each other, <laughs> let me give you the hate fest that is Texas and Texas A&M. There were multiple writers yesterday saying no one, yesterday saying, no one does petty like Texas football. The Longhorns think they're all that and cannot get out of their own way. They always seem to lose three or four games, unless they lose five. And A&M feels like they're finally getting, finally getting it rolling here. And they do not want to share, even if it's 1,000 high school football pro- prospects and you can only keep 50 of them in state, 25 per school. No, there's some serious bad blood there. Barry Trammell is going to tell us how much of this is smoke and how much of this is fire. Multiple unnamed Big 12 sources told people there's too much smoke for there not to be fire. A&M cannot scuttle it. The vote to expand does not have to be unanimous. It's got to be 11 to 3. Now, this is SEC probably doesn't want 11 to 3. That looks too divided. Are some of the other schools on the western side of the conference thinking we don't need Texas in this league and Oklahoma in this league? We are only going to get better if we get elite kids out of Texas to come to Arkansas and to come to Missouri? That would be three votes. Or Arkansas and Missouri would be happy to be in kind of a pseudo Big 12 SWC kind of division. Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, LSU, Arkansas, Missouri, probably the two Mississippi schools. That'd be an 18 Western division. We'll talk to Barry Trammell coming up at 9 o'clock. He writes for the paper in Oklahoma City. Online at newsok.com. He does some radio. He's done TV there. And he's been on this show many times. We'll find out at 9 o'clock what he knows about this and how the dominoes fall. Does the Big 12 then at eight teams do the rating or does the Big 12 get rated? There have been Kansas to the Big 10 rumors. There have been uh, West Virginia. Well, West Virginia would take the ACC or the Big 10. They're in or adjacent to both footprints. They'd like to be in, and so far no one has wanted them. But will that change? The other leagues feel like they have to go to 16. The SEC TV contract, if you had brand names like Texas and Oklahoma, will be ginormous. Pac-12 defaulting to the fourth best power league. We moved up a notch as we watched the Big 12 die. Or at least get remade. Now, maybe this opens it up for Houston and BYU to be teams 9 and 10. That league holds firm. They've got NCAA bids. Top six leagues get in. Why go to a league you can't win? Stay in your league. Top six conference champs get in the new playoff. Maybe the other eight hold together. All questions are run past Barry Trammell at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. The San Francisco 49ers agreed to a deal with linebacker Fred Warner yesterday. The five-year, $95 million deal includes $40.5 million guaranteed. It make him the highest-paid off-ball linebacker in NFL history. And it might lead to the Fred Warner weight room at BYU. I don't know. It is good when you see those guys hit it big and they give back to the school that helped them get there. So we'll see if Fred does something for the wide down the line. But I think Cougar fans, shoulders back, chest out. That's our guy. Just before training camp starts, Steelers linebacker Vince Williams announces his retirement. He played eight seasons with the team after being selected in the sixth round of the 2013 draft. Man, eight years in the NFL? Man, this is dog years, people. I'd be impressed with eight years in the NBA or eight years in Major League Baseball. P.K. and I always talked about when you do 10 in those leagues, that is a huge success. It doesn't matter if you're a role guy and you bounce around. If you last in MLB or NBA for 10 years, the NFL is dog years. There are guys just trying to get to the pension, and that is an accomplishment. The injuries, the setbacks, eight years, that's a win for Vince. And the Steelers, really interesting. Started 11-0 last year, faded big time. What are they going to do with Roethlisberger? Do they have enough of a team around him? Is he he's supposed to be leaner and meaner this year? Is he going to be able to sustain it for 16 games? It feels like 
one last run. Run it back one last time in Pittsburgh, and then everything blows up, and they start over again. They have been a model of stability in the NFL. Fabulous. Three coaches. I mean, how many, how many teams in the NFL you say, you know, I think I'll name every head coach they've had since the leagues merged in 1970. Yeah, you try that with one team out of 32. That's what you do. One. That's it. Chuck Knoll, four Super Bowl titles. Mike Tomlin, long run. And in between, that dude with the jaw, he's on TV. Uh, yeah, Bill Cowher. That's it. There you go. In half a century. Phenomenal. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. What? Word has leaked out of Fort Knox? Why did the NSA allow this information to escape? The Utah Jazz will be holding pre-draft workouts today ahead of the NBA draft next week. Jazz are going to have the 30th pick in the draft. Participants expected to include Houston guard Quentin Grimes, Providence guard David Duke, and San Diego State small forward Matt Mitchell. Who are they looking to draft? Are they really going to stay at 30? Are they going to trade up like they did with Donovan Mitchell and with Rudy Gobert? Are they going to trade back like they did last year? They moved back a few picks and grabbed as a What will the Jazz do? We'll have David Locke on to talk all things Jazz coming up at 8.30. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 3-1 pitch, that's it in the air, deep to left field. It was a fastball, and it got lost. Two-run home run, Fernando Tatis Jr. He's 29th of the season, and the Padres extend their lead 3-0 here in the fifth. Tatis Jr. goes deep again. Padres beat the Braves 3-2 in game one of their doubleheader. Game two stopped by the rain in the middle of the fifth inning with the Padres up 5-4. Date to resume, yet to be determined. Padres in third in the West. They're trying to keep up with the Giants and the Dodgers. The Giants beat the Dodgers 4-2. Wilmer Flores with the big swing. Go ahead, two-run homer in the ninth inning. Kenley Jansen. Good enough to hold on to the job. Bad enough to make Dodger fans get the meat sweats every time he comes in. 25 save opportunities. He's blown four of them. Wilmer Flores takes him deep. Giants win. They've got a two-game lead in the National League West. They've won two out of three from the Dodgers. The fourth and final game of the series is tonight. And then next week, they get back after it with three more games up in San Francisco. Best division in baseball. Really intriguing race. you got three good teams. Two of them are slotted for the wild card, and one of them is going to play one postseason game and go home and think, what just happened? How did that happen to our season? Giants playing 632 ball. They are on a 100-win pace. They are doing what the Dodgers and Padres were supposed to do. Win 100 games and look like champs. But in baseball, and the regular season's nice, but the playoffs are different and can all go away so fast. The Arizona Diamondbacks, with the worst record in baseball, are flirting with not having the worst record in baseball after sweeping the Pirates. Playing for the top pick there. Is somebody tanking? This is the NBA. That's what we'd be talking about. The Pirates and the Diamondbacks have the worst two records in the National League, and Arizona sweeps the Pirates with a 6-4 win. Chicago White Sox rookie, Yerman Mercedes, wrote in an Instagram post last night that he is stepping aside from baseball indefinitely. He apologized to the team in his post for not accepting some of their decisions. He'd been demoted to AAA at the beginning of July. And the Bees return home to action as they take on the Las Vegas Aviators. First pitch at 6.30. You can listen to the game right here on the Zone Sports Network. Hashtag RSL. Rail Salt Lake and the LA Galaxy played to a 2-2 draw last night at Rio Tinto Stadium. We always talk about you tie these games, and there's some draws that feel like wins and some that feel like losses. This one felt like a big old 3-0 loss. This one felt terrible. RSL came out flying, dominating the game, dominating possession, creating chances, scoring in the first 10 minutes. Albert Rusnak, whose last four goals were all penalties, scored in the run of play for the first time in 11 months. The first time since the bubble in Florida. It's a good goal. They tacked on another goal from Michael Chang. They led two. They had a two-goal lead after half an hour. In the final hour, LA took control of the game, came back and tied it, and had multiple chances. 
had an open goal and had a guy just not from eight yards out just not be able to put it on frame. It was just horrible. Had a, a bad back pass under hit. Had a guy one-on-one with a keeper, and he bailed out at the last second. Ochoa made the save. Ochoa made a tremendous save on a corner kick. Tremendous goalkeeping. Both teams hit the frame. Then could have been 6-3. Ended up 2-2. RSL's got Colorado, 8 o'clock. Fireworks! Saturday. We'll talk with uh, Trey Fitzgerald coming up in about 10 minutes about RSL and why they've only won one of their last seven home games, which is not nearly good enough. DJ and PK. From the Anaheim Ducks, the Seattle Kraken select Hayden Fleury. Newest team in the NHL had its roster, has its roster after the expansion draft was held last night. The Seattle Kraken selected 30 players, did not announce side deals or trades. Something Vegas took advantage of in its inaugural season. Vegas, best expansive team ever. Hi, we're in the league. Let's go to the Stanley Cup final. And talk about 0 to 200 in 6.2 seconds. That's what Vegas did. Will Seattle do it? The full NHL schedule will be released later today. DJ and PK. The side of the penalty area, the deep cross, Hertig 3 0. Lena Hertig with the header. And Sweden are taking Team USA apart here in Tokyo. The U.S. women's national team opened with a horrific 3-0 loss to Sweden. Kristen Press put the positive spin on it, former Utah Royal. We had a long string of wins. Yeah, more than 40 in a row. And we haven't had a lot of games where we've had to come back or anything like that. I think this was actually really good to have this match. Uh, Okay. Uh, the women's soccer is a 12-team tournament. It's three groups of four. So the winner and the second-place team in the group advance and two of the three third-place teams advance. So really, you're largely playing for seeding. If the U.S. can't get out of group play, yikes. However, they've already lost once. I assume they get out of group play, and then it'll be all about what you do, eight teams, single elimination, knockout play, what happens then. Uh, we'll get to that with Trey coming up as well. The games officially start with the opening ceremonies tomorrow night. But due to the soccer and the nature of the sport and even time between games, <clears throat> they got to uh, pop the cork on the tournament there before they get to the uh, opening ceremonies. All right, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Trey Fitzgerald coming up next. Cindy Bourne from the Washington Post covering the Olympics will join us at 8 o'clock. There's been talk about the games getting canceled. Would they do that at this late date? Seems like the TV show is destined to progress. And how many more athletes are going to drop out here? Do you even want to stay in the Olympic Village? Would you rather be locked in a hotel room? Which is safer? Uh, we will talk with Cindy Bourne about all of that and the U.S. Olympic basketball team at 8 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix. If you're the Jazz, do you just tweak this thing or do you look for some sort of major deal to make? I think tweaking is enough. You know, I don't consider re-signing Mike Conley tweaking. That's fundamental. He has to come back or else this thing is going to take a massive step back. But there's really not a lot of glaring weaknesses to this Jazz team. Mitchell can take over games. The Clippers are a bad matchup for Gobert. That's something they have to fix if they do want to face the Clippers down the line. But Rudy Gobert is still a dominant center. He just needed to nibble around the fringes a little bit, find more depth at key positions, and roll with it. This season was disappointing the way it ended for Utah, but it doesn't say this team is fundamentally flawed. It says they just need to make some minor moves and make sure you bring back Mike Conley. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. You're locked on to Utah's highest rated. Most listened to sports radio morning show for over a decade. This is DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. JPK brought to you in part by 
Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Coming up this morning, City Born, Washington Post is going to join us at 8 o'clock. Are the Olympics going to go on? They're going to pull this off. How many athletes and or teams are going to end up dropping out? Will they actually cancel this thing? David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz at 830. Uh, Milwaukee, what it means what it means for a small market club to build from within and take home the title. And what the Jazz might do in the NBA draft. And Barry Trammell at 9 o'clock on the SEC in Oklahoma and Texas in that flirtation. Or pending marriage, depending on how you look at it. We're joined now by Trey Fitzgerald, former RSL executive, now doing some media work and some consulting and joining us for a few minutes And, Trey, I talked to you about doing this before the game started. I didn't know we'd be on here for a funeral. I thought we might be on here, you know, all fired up about a win. But what happened? I mean, how does that change? For 30 minutes, it was glorious. And then, ah, what? Yeah, I guess this is why the cliche of 2-0 being the most dangerous lead in soccer is is not just a cliche. It's actually true. (laughs) Um, yeah, RSL looked great last night, first 30 minutes. Um, Michael Chang, the only change from the loss in LAFC three days earlier. He was kind of a revelation, had an assist and a goal. Um, he's continued to be uh, a bright spot this year. Uh, Albert Rusnak getting that first goal. Um, RSL looked like it was cruising. It was 2 nothing. Uh, they were still creating other chances. Victor Vasquez the former uh, Barcelona guy for uh, the Galaxy scored a beautiful goal that I don't think Achoa or anybody else really could have done uh, much with. But uh, as the game wore on, the Galaxy kept getting, um, I guess you could say, invited back into the game. And, uh, you know, RSL, for I think the fourth time, uh, drops points at home from a winning position, blowing a one nothing or a 2 nothing lead and having very little to show for it. And, uh, and it was like a funeral in that post game with, with Albert and Rubio Rubin and, and head coach Freddie Juarez kind of searching for answers as to why this team cannot, I guess, step on the neck or whatever um, – you know, bromide you want to use to kind of kill off the opponent and kill off the game and and secure three points at home. And now RSL halfway through its home schedule on the year is going to have to figure out a way to make up those points on the road. And that is an extremely difficult proposition if you look at the history of Major League Soccer, where generally the best road team each year only wins six or seven games out of 17 away from home. So, it's an uphill battle uh, with roughly two-thirds of the season still left to go. But like I said, the majority of that two-thirds <clears throat> is, is away from home. And, you know, you see flashes of brilliance from, from Rubio Rubin. It seems like Rusnak has is, is, is kind of gotten out of his rut. Demir Krylak always consistent. But, um, you know, this team just cannot figure out a way to uh, – to take that extra step to, to lock up those those three points. And um, it's concerning for everybody, fans, media, but most especially uh, the, the players in that locker room, uh, the coaches in the front office. Whenever I bring up a stat, Dunny flinches. He doesn't like stats. It's a free-flowing game. It's hard to look at stats and break stuff out and say, well, this is happening it means this because there are so many things happening at the same time with – 22 players in constant motion. But one stat that Dunny is really, he actually made me repeat it last night in a broadcast. RSL's given up 16 goals this year, four in the first half, 12 in the second half. Why defensively so many problems in that second half? Well, Dunny's an artist. We know this. Yeah, so, right. Um, you know, look, I think that, I think that if you look at soccer worldwide, the majority of goals are scored 
in the second half and generally in the last 15 minutes because that's when one team is desperately trying to change the game and chase the game and get a point or three points and the other team's trying to hold on and you've got introduction of, of fresh legs and, and a bunch of risk taking and all that kind of stuff but the imbalance that you just pointed out is um, more significant than just the trend historically uh, not just in MLS but kind of worldwide whether it's international soccer, cups, tournaments, whatever. So I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I guess the, the short, obvious answer is just the team is wearing down, it's losing focus. And, you know, I can't sit here and say that Justin Glad is at fault because he's been excellent all year long. I think Marcelo Silva has been excellent all year long. Um, Beesler, Ruiz, and Everton – at the holding mid spots have been kind of rotated, but I think they've all had their, their moments of brilliance. And maybe that little bit of inconsistency, the lineup rotation there uh, could explain it, but it, it really doesn't. Um, you know, Aaron Herrera has been good. Brody and Toya, like Ochoa has been brilliant in most situations. So it's, Again, I, I'm sitting here kind of like the guys last night searching for answers because nothing on its surface makes obvious sense other than in each of these last, what, four home games now, they've found a way, um, not including the one nothing, you know, LAFC loss where I think they dominated the game for 70 minutes, had nothing to show for it, and then got – run off the field in the last 20. I mean, LAFC looked like the team that, that that was not affected by the altitude in that particular game. Now, RSL didn't have the lead that they had against San Jose, Minnesota, uh, and certainly last night, LA Galaxy. And I think uh, there was a fourth game that I'm kind of blanking on where they blew a one nothing lead. So it's just massive frustration, and I think – you know, there's not one particular area to blame. It's a it's a collective, and that's that gets back to Dunny's point about stats and and soccer is that it is 11 guys in constant motion. The second half, you're seeing substitutions, and and I know there are people that are very critical of of Freddie's substitution patterns, and I guess I would have to go back and look to see if I think it's really justified or not but you know I think people want to see like last night Johnny Menendez the new wigger from Argentina was on the bench for the first time so people wanted to see him instead of Justin Miram but Justin Miram came on and he was excellent going forward and almost created that that goal from from Rubio or sorry from Julio um, in stoppage that, that could have snagged those three points uh, Bobby Wood, we've not seen for long, long stretches. Um, I know talking to Dunny and, and others, people would love to see Rubio Rubin and Bobby Wood play together. But, you know, this gets into something I know you guys talk a lot about during the NBA season. You've got games every three days. You don't get a lot of time in practice to kind of play with tactics or play with uh, combinations. And now we're getting into the part of the schedule where literally RSL, I think, has six games in 22 days and is going to have three games in eight days more often than not over the next eight, ten weeks. Yeah, it's three games in eight days with Colorado on the weekend. And like RSL, they were picked to be not good. And while RSL, with a lot of home games up front, is kind of floating around the middle of the Western Conference, Colorado is battling for – home field advantage, and, and we're still not halfway through the year, but they've positioned themselves to battle for home field advantage. It's fireworks after the game, and why might this be different? Aside from the fireworks, obviously. Well, you know, the, there is a Rocky Mountain Cup rivalry. Uh, Colorado's head coach is, is a guy who spent a lot of time here at RSL in the glory days, and Robin Fraser. Uh, it's Robin's second head coaching stint. He kind of had a failed stint at Chivas, which I think is completely unfair to pin on him. That was a crumbling organization around him. Uh, when he left RSL, I think in 2000 and 
2013, maybe. No, earlier than that, 11. He was the highest paid assistant coach in the league. Uh, he spent a lot of time up in Toronto with, with Craig Vanny during their heyday. So, you know, Robin's won everywhere he's been. Uh, he's seen it done a lot of different ways. He's seen it done in a small market on a low budget, and he's seen it done, uh, you know, obviously in Toronto as a player in L.A. Uh, when his club was probably spending more than anybody else. So what he's done is he's gone into Colorado gotten everybody on the same page and made them believe and they are not spending significantly more on their payroll than RSL or, or really anybody else, but they're getting results uh, for the first time. in what seems like forever. Now, I think you can kind of throw all that stuff out the window because you've got a, a desperate RSL team in front of what's probably going to be a capacity crowd, a fireworks crowd, as you mentioned, and Colorado wants to come in and try to kind of reestablish itself just in its rivalry with RSL because I think RSL's won 10 of the last 13 or 11 of the last 14 Rocky Mountain Cups. Uh, technically should have won the Rocky Mountain Cup, the series between the two teams last year, but because of COVID and the bubble, like one of the games didn't count. So, you know, I think we can give 2020 an asterisk for, for a million different reasons, but um you know, it's going to be interesting to see what we what what RSL comes out, and I think for most of those guys, it probably doesn't matter what Colorado does, how they set up, who they start, uh, what they're trying to do. Now, the one thing about Colorado is RSL has zero altitude advantage, um, obviously against Colorado, so uh, that they have against uh, most other teams. But RSL is kind of, I think, feeling like a uh, a rabid animal, kind of backed into a corner searching for answers and um, and hopefully they come out Saturday night kind of fighting with that, with that kind of attitude that it's, it's three points or bust and it doesn't matter how they get it, whether it's ugly, whether it's pretty, whether it's a ton of goals or, or locking it down and getting that, that pretty elusive uh, clean sheet that the defense has not gotten, I think, except maybe once this year. So what's the update on selling the team? Is uh, is there a sale on the horizon now that Orlando and uh, Houston have been sold? I think, you know, that's the order uh, based on, I think, reading the tea leaves and, and hearing uh, things out of New York earlier this year is that, is that uh, Commissioner Garber and, and the board wanted Orlando and Houston to get settled first uh, for various reasons, primarily market size. Um, RSL obviously still has incredible infrastructure and uh, relevance here, big fish in a small pond. Um, Don Garber has repeatedly said that he expects that sale to happen by the end of the year. I think about a month ago, there were published reports that 10 to 12 different entities were kind of kicking the tires on everything here with the club, the stadium, the training facility in Harriman. Uh, the option for an NWSL team. Uh, the league during that time has kind of announced that most of its USL teams, like the Real Monarchs, will play in a in a in an MLS sanctioned uh, third division uh, to kind of maintain that, I guess, developmental piece in the pyramid. But who knows who is interested? Uh, you know, a lot of people have been kicking the tires. It's an interesting time, I think, to spend $400 million on a on a pro sports team. I think, you know, from an entry point in the grand scheme of things, it's probably low um, if you're looking at becoming a, a, a pro sports owner. Um, you know, MLS values have obviously gone up um, 100 times, 50 times, I guess, over the last, 17 years since, since Dave Checkett's brought um, Real Salt Lake and Major League Soccer to Utah. Uh, David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, just paid 325 alone for the expansion fee in Charlotte. And you look at Charlotte and St. Louis and what Cincinnati has done often recently to, to kind of get into the league, to build a stadium. I think 400, 400 million is a bargain. <laughs> It's, it sounds kind of insane to say, but when you know when you look at NBA franchise values 
uh, baseball, football, hockey, et cetera, and those TV and media rights deals, everything surrounding uh, those leagues, I think $400 million to be one of 30 teams in Major League Soccer, one that already has the established facilities, the established fan base here. Um, when you look at what you expect to happen with um, the MLS television deal that comes up at the end of next year, you look at the World Cup being here in the United States in 2026, I think those are things that if, if you're somebody that is looking at the Utah economy and looking at the, the state of soccer in the U.S. and Canada, you know, Salt Lake City has the best TV ratings for uh, the U.S. games and the Gold Cup. It has phenomenal TV ratings for the Euro. So there's clearly an appetite and an understanding here for soccer that indexes higher than just about anywhere else in the country. Um, you look at, I think, other factors like I referenced with you know the housing market here in Utah, the economy here in Utah. I, I think it'd be a no-brainer. It's it's just who is going to be that person that steps up and and writes the check that the league wants and, and claims that its franchises are worth. And uh, as you mentioned, Orlando went for, for 450 and that included the stadium and a training facility and, and a women's team. Houston, um, which is, you know, top five market in the U.S., went for 400 and that did not include the stadium. And unfortunately, I'm no financier, so I can't tell you kind of what the role of debt obligations and some of those other things play in all this because I guess there's probably certain people in the world that if you're carrying, you know, a couple hundred million dollars of debt, like Houston is rumored to have been, you know, that's a, that's a, a an attractive tax write-off. But again, I'm getting out of my depth on some of that economic um, supposition. <laughs> so uh, I just have to go back to Commissioner Garber's comments that he expects the club this club to sell by the end of the year and hopefully we see that happen because I think there's there's a lot of good people over there that have done a lot of good work to get that stadium back filled in a post-COVID or a, I guess we can't probably say we're post-COVID yet but we're close hopefully if, if things keep going in the right direction and you know I think when you look at what Elliot Hall and Tony Beltran and Rob Zarkos have done to kind of bring in the Bobby Woods, the Johnny Menendez, the Tony Dakoviches, the Rubio Rubines of the world. Um, you know, look look at that roster. Look at the top, I don't know, 15 or 16 players and who has not lived up to expectations for 2021 season. And I think you're hard-pressed to say that any individual, you know, Albert took a lot of a lot of stick early on in the year, but I, I think he's, he's done a lot of the little things that have helped bring him out of his rut. You know, people are going to judge him by goals and assists, and that's somewhat fair based on his salary and his role and his, his wearing the captain's armband. But, you know, so I think when you look at all the pieces individually, you say, yeah, he's done well, he's done well, he's exceeded expectations, blah, blah, blah. But collectively, they're not getting it done. And, um, you know, I think Freddie has tried to be more transparent this year than in years past with his thought processes, his options, his, you know, the circumstances that, that face him when evaluating the club. And I applaud him for that. But uh, that whole that whole coaching staff and, and besides Freddie, everybody else is new. So Pablo Mastroeni is new. Uh, Matt Taylor is new. Nacho is new. Um, I think they're they're trying to figure out what's going on and why they can't quite get around that final corner. Well, Trey, I want you to come back on the show when you're a billionaire and you can explain all the uh, <laughs> debt financing. Until then, dang it, don't come here with half I, answers. Yeah, I would love to come back. As a billionaire, that to be the I situation. bet you would. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'd even come on your show every day. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you'd be buying a golf course every day is what you'd be doing. Uh, not one a day. <laughs> okay. One a week. <laughs> All right, Trey. Hit him straight. Right. We appreciate a few Thanks minutes. Thanks a lot. All right, DJ. All Talk right, soon. Trey Fitzgerald, latest on the RSL ownership change, and they have got to get back on track.
10 points at home in eight home games, that is not the equation anybody wants to hear. That is way, way below what they need to be doing. That is just a horrible number, 10 points in eight games at home. Not good at all. All right, when we come back, the SEC, who's feeling teams 15 and 16? What happens in college football next? Are Texas and Oklahoma really going to do this? Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, Craig Thompson. When I talk to the football players, I'm going to say, guys, I understand it. You're American. It's your God-given right. You choose. Vaccinate. Don't vaccinate. But if you do not vaccinate, there is a cause and effect. There will be consequences. You will test. You will contact trace. You know, the coaches were even talking to the point that uh, I've got this player who's not vaccinated. Maybe I'll run him with threes and a fours because I don't know if he'll be good to go Saturday. And I got a guy who's a half step slower and two inches shorter, but he's vaccinated and I know he'll be able to play. So, son, jump up there and run with the ones and twos because you're on the plane. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Your home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, and Cougars. This is DJ and PK. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The big news breaking yesterday. Okay, not news. The big rumors breaking yesterday with a massive reaction from Oklahoma State. What would be the repercussions if Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC? Houston Chronicle breaking the story. Unnamed sources. And tellingly, Texas and Oklahoma and SEC, nobody said no. They all said, commenting on rumors and unnamed sources. Hey, unnamed sources have a bad rap for a decent reason. However, unnamed sources has also given up the truth and the goods on multiple occasions. And when nobody says, no, that can only be because the answer might be, yes. David says the Big 12, which already isn't 12, would disappear. It certainly wouldn't be the big deal it is. Maybe it should be renamed the Middling Nate. Oklahoma and Texas are the brand brand names. They're the ten poles propping up that conference. But the WAC still exists. It doesn't look anything like what the WAC looked like for decades. 70s, 80s, 90s. And it looked different in the 2000s, but it looks way different now. The Big 12 might be up for that kind of transformation. Brent says it would enable the Pac-12 to pick up TCU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor from the Big 12 as that conference would fold. We might as well throw BYU in and make it an even 16 teams to match the new SEC. Well, Brent, you hit on multiple themes there, and some of them I like and some of them I don't like. Baylor to the Pac-12, not holding my breath for that. Private religious school, I don't think the public universities are thrilled with that. Not happening. Wouldn't expect it. Wouldn't expect BYU to the Pac-12. Wouldn't expect Baylor. Now, to your point about that league could get picked over by other leagues, your bigger point, absolutely that could happen. There have been rumors about Kansas to the Big Ten. They can bring the Kansas City and Missouri TV markets. There's also a thought that TV markets are a little less important going forward. The cable bundles, and you needed a geographic footprint, and you needed to deliver markets, that was a big deal 10, 15, 20 years ago. But we're moving towards all these games being streamed and being digital. So maybe not quite such a big deal. Now, to a certain degree, you would expect more more of that streaming play in markets that have an an affection for a team. And Kansas does have a lot of grads in St. Louis and and Kansas City. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but some of the steam is going out of that. But there would definitely be multiple leagues making runs at Big 12 teams, and the Big 12 making runs at other teams. We got uh, plenty of people saying, uh, well, the Mountain West will pick up the Big 12 leftovers, and it becomes Power 5, question mark, leaving BYU as an independent, question mark. I don't think there'd be anybody left in the league 
that could turn the Mountain West into a Power Five. But I think that distinction is going away, so I don't think it matters. If this new playoff formula lets in the top six conference champions and the top six at largest, you just have to be able to get your champion to be better than their champion. Do you want a far-flung league that stretches from Hawaii, San Diego, Fresno, and San Jose to say Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech? Seems a little too big to me. But money talks. And would the Mountain West and the AAC pick up teams? Or would their teams get picked up? Get a Big 12 turnaround and offer Houston and BYU and keep on trucking. Not with the same profile they had, but maybe a good enough profile. It would be a huge hit. There's no way around that. Daniel says the big joke of a conference, the Big 12, would become irrelevant in football. Almost as irrelevant as another so-called big conference, the Pac-12. There's no question. We got enough math on this. We know the two leagues that have taken a hit in this playoff era that have been left out the most and have been mocked the most for it are the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And this sets the SEC up as not one of the big three leagues. It leaves the ACC and the Big Ten chasing them in terms of money. And will they expand? And if so, who will they expand to? I said earlier, West Virginia sitting on the, either in the ACC footprint or on the edge of the Big Ten footprint. I'm struggling right there. I had to think. Wait, Big, the Big 12 has 10 teams. The Big Ten has 14 teams. Which league am I trying to reference? But West Virginia's sitting there looking at Maryland and Penn State and Rutgers thinking, we fit. Look, look at these schools around us. How about us? So the Big 12 could come out of this looking very different. Now, we have a good point here uh, brought up by uh, Chuck. You know, what does it mean if Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC? Chuck says it means it'll be a long time before Texas and Oklahoma win a conference. Boom! Plenty of jokes about that. But Texas already isn't winning the league, so give them more money. $60 million per team? More than $60 million per team in a payout? Aaron says the Cougs are looking attractive as a replacement. Hashtag let's do this. Ryan says for 10 years now, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the slightest movement of any conference just to see BYU get its unrequited hopes up. (laughs) Hashtag independent for life. You know, the funny thing in all of this, Ryan, is it'll be interesting to see if teams – Make the move. It's one thing to talk about it. But there are more teams talking about independence than ever because they think we'll keep all the money. It's about streaming, and we can get into the top 12. There's been speculation about Texas going independent. There's been speculation about USC going independent. The ACC desperately wants to pull Notre Dame in. The ACC commissioner has been clear about that. And any plan they have to get to 16, you would think, would involve bringing in Notre Dame. I'm sitting over here talking about West Virginia. Yeah, Notre Dame first, Notre Dame second, Notre Dame third, Notre Dame fourth. And maybe the fifth priority is West Virginia. Nope, it's Notre Dame. West Virginia is the sixth priority at best. It's odd, this whole debate about BYU and independence, and is it sustainable? Because BYU went independent a decade ago, and there have been so many changes in college football. You know, they do it, huh, it's unusual, but gosh, the CSPN deal, that looks good. And that deal with Notre Dame, that looks good. But then everything changes around BYU. Notre Dame cuts a scheduling deal. If I had to go with one reason that Notre Dame has never played that home game, they announced two two-for-one deals, essentially six games, four for two. They played the first two in South Bend. Notre Dame owed them one. And if there's one reason Notre Dame hasn't done it, I think it's because Notre Dame signed that five-game scheduling deal with the ACC. And they're not giving up their trips to California every year. They're not giving up that Navy game. Navy stood by them when nobody else in college football wanted to play Notre Dame, when Notre Dame wasn't nearly as big a deal, and Navy was a huge deal. And Notre Dame has always said, loyalty, man, we know what Navy did decades ago. It's not changing. We're playing Navy, and they do. 
year after year after year because of stuff that happened 50, 70 years ago. So there just aren't that many games left for Notre Dame. They got a couple Big Ten teams they like to play, a couple Pac-12s. They got Navy. They got five ACC. But the everything keeps changing around BYU. Wait a minute. Maybe independence is in vogue. What the heck do you need to – why would Team 1 in any conference share the revenue with Team the, – the 10th, 12th, or 16th most valuable team? Well, the answer is because they need somebody to beat up on. James says the SEC would end up splitting because traditional rivals wouldn't frequent wouldn't play frequently enough for most teams. I think that would be a problem for a lot of 16 team leagues. I think that's a problem to deal with. But I think you get around that in the SEC because actually you get to realign, and I don't want to spend too much time on SEC rivalries, but Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, there's rivalries in those mixes, and you got two teams in one division and two in the other, and I think all four of those go to the east. They'll Well, two are already there, but all four will be in the east. Alabama and Auburn will move. And I don't think anybody in Florida ever wanted Missouri in their division in the first place. <laughs> so I think actually the SEC could sort this out. And the ACC, they threw these teams together. Uh, there are some longstanding rivalries there, but if they keep the Carolina schools together, and the Virginia schools together, I think the ACC can man- manage it. I get where you're going with the 16 teams, but I think they can manage that. All right, we're going to talk about this with Barry Trammell. I think he knows more than most of us, and he is in uh, Oklahoma City, newsok.com. We will talk with Barry Trammell coming up at 9 o'clock and see where he thinks this is going with the SEC and Oklahoma and Texas. Cindy Bourne from the Washington Post coming up next. Could the Olympics really be canceled? The director of the opening ceremonies has been fired for a joke about what? You joked about what? Is this Olympics going to be the biggest mess ever? We will get to that with Cindy Bourne of the Washington Post next. David Locke, jazz radio play-by-play guy at 830. Stay with us.